If you are new to Talk with Francesca, I'm going to go over a couple of quick things that you might want to know. To reach me, all you've got to do is email me at info at talkwithfrancesca.com. And if you miss part of this show, you can hop on over to my iTunes page, where you can also listen to hundreds of other episodes of Talk with Francesca. And if you want to know what else is going on, including upcoming shows, giveaways, etc., visit my website, talkwithfrancesca.com. This show is sponsored by Kima Cosmetic Surgery and Anti-Aging Center in Norwell, when you will only accept the absolute best in your cosmetic treatments. They are your go-to center. Visit them at kimaantiaging.com and tell them I sent you. Walk in looking exhausted, walk out looking 10 years younger. And I know because I go there and last week I got a skin tightening treatment that is to die for. All right, then. We've got a lot to cover in a short period of time, so we're going to get rolling. I have a guest that was with me a couple of years back, Mark Bowden. He is a very, very brilliant man, and I'm thrilled to have him. Um, Communication is more than what is said or heard. Words can send one message, but a person's body language, as we know, can tell a completely different story posture, tone of voice, and facial expressions all play a part in communicating through physical cues. Mark is a world-renowned expert in body language, human behavior, and communication. He, uh, as a matter of fact, um, Mark, you've done a TED Talk, haven't you? Probably more than one. Absolutely, yeah, TEDx Toronto. So uh, I did a talk, I think it was in uh, scary we have to really be watching what our expressions are, are telling people then 
Well, yeah, and some of them are very difficult to control. Of course, we can control a lot of the, the uh, feelings that we leak. Otherwise, how would we ever lie? And all of us are good liars at some point in our life. <laughs> lying is one of our most important social skills. If we couldn't lie, uh, we wouldn't get on with other people very well at all. So, um, so we do leak certain amounts of nonverbal information, and others we're able to hold back that information and not let people know what our emotions truly are. I do recall now uh, us having a conversation about people being liars, but so so refresh my memory and and, and tell me. Tell me more. Well, look, yeah, so, so lying is really important. Um, you know, how would you have a relationship, a long-term relationship with somebody if you weren't <laughs> able at some points in your life to be able to lie? Of course, telling the truth is important as well. It's knowing exactly when to tell the truth and exactly when to lie and being good at telling the truth and good at lying that helps you have a healthy relationship with, with people. Uh, look, if you weren't able to lie, how would you have undercover police? How, how would the, the FBI do anything undercover if they weren't good liars? They're not anomalies. We're all good liars when we need to be. Those of us that don't get on very well in society, we're often not able to tell the truth when we need to or lie when we need to. Oh, maybe that's my problem. I don't, <laughs> I don't know. I do tend to tell... Uh, maybe I am a little bit, you know, there is some, some, uh, merit then to, um, when people say, oh, I, I tell the truth too much. Maybe that, maybe there is, you know, something to be said about that. But if someone, if someone were to say, um, to me, uh, do you like my haircut? And I didn't, I don't think that I would say, yeah, no, I, I like it. I, I don't think I would do that. I just I, right. so, I mean I would rather so I mean saying, but but if then again somebody I, had some power over you maybe somebody who is who is uh, senior to you in an organization that you work in maybe your your boss and and she comes up to you and says hey how do you like the new haircut you would say it actually looks terrible and not and not because of the haircut it's because of you you, you know you're just not a good looking person <laughs> you, you'd be that I mean because that might be true that might be true maybe no haircut suits them. My guess is, is when you need to be, um, you know, because you're, you're probably holding down a job at the moment, you've maybe got some friends and family. Yeah. If you're managing to do all of those things, you're pretty much socially aware, which means you're telling the truth and you're lying at the right times. Yeah. Well, I think, I, you know, I don't think I would come blurt out, no, that's a really bad haircut. I would just say, oh, let me, like, yeah, it's, it's, Hmm. You know, I don't know. It's not. It's not my favorite. And why are you asking? Maybe because maybe that person's not happy with their haircut. I mean, who who would say? Yeah, well, what do you what do you actually want to say? Because that's the thing is, is is there's truth and lies. What's the truth of what you want to say? And what happens is is we couch it in in different words, and essentially we start the process of creating a different world, creating a fantasy, creating a world where, well, you know, it's not so bad. We maybe should, instead of going, no, it's terrible. You, you, sh you chose the wrong thing. Uh, and, and uh, you know, you make bad choices. And I see that in you all the time. I mean, we, we, you know, if we're that abrupt, 
sometimes it's considered rude, and if we're too rude, then we're not able to hold down friends and family and jobs. Of course, of course, yeah. But I, it just sounds funny when you say that we have to, that we should lie sometimes. So give us an example, um, other than when your husband, when you ask your husband, "Do I look fat in this dress?" He better lie, right? <laughs> But but other than no, you don't look fat at all, honey. Um, but what are some times when it it is a good idea to lie? Oh well, I mean, you know that that really depends on the, on the situation. But 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 times that we do it all the time. Have you ever been invited to something mm. and you didn't for all kinds of reasons you didn't want to go? But you said you were like busy with something else, or you made up a story, and it seemed like the person accepted that story, but the story was a was a lie. Um, you know, we we do that kind of thing all the time, and that's and that's uh, socially very normal to decide what we attend and what we don't attend, and to make up stories uh, around that, rather than going, "Hey, no, I'm not going to come to your party because I don't like the other people that you're with," <laughs> or, or "I've got something better to do. Actually, I've got a better right. invitation yeah, 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 for, yeah, for a better yeah, party." Course. Yeah, of course, of course. But, you know, the only problem with that is that um, if you lie, you have to remember the lie. My mother always said that. Just remember, if you tell the truth, you never have to worry about it because you'll always remember the truth. But lies are a different story. And they're, and it's true. Oh, I mean, it is true. Yeah, I mean, yeah. so, you know, so lying can be quite a lazy thing. You've got to, you've got to lie about things that are really important, not things that, that you're going to be able to remember what you lied because you chose an important moment. To do that, right. certainly in interrogation, when we're looking for the lies, what we'll often do is to see whether people can repeat their story backwards. Mm-hmm. Because if it's really happened to them, often they're very much able to go backwards in time over the story. If they're making up the story in the first place, it's very different for their, difficult for their mind to reorientate this. They'll they'll forget specific details or there'll be details missing or things will change because they can't remember the story but look you know most of us aren't going to get interrogated over the the lies that we've told understand uh, as a uh, to perform well in society we have to accept lies Mm -hmm. as well Mm -hmm. have you ever been lied to and you know you're being lied to and you kind of go yeah you know what i'm going to let this one go because it's just it's not a big thing. I'll, I'll let the lie pass. It's clearly they're making up a story, but I'll let it pass. So we have to be able to lie. We have to be able to tell the truth. And we have to be able to accept lies and accept the truth in order to function well. You know, I just it just occurred to me that I actually, at first I was thinking, eh, I don't know about this lying stuff, but... You know, there was a time back about three years ago, and um, I had a very important event to go to, and it was very, very important for me personally, and um, so I asked a friend, I say a friend at the time, because it really made a big difference, Um, and I I gave her about three months' notice that I needed someone to to watch my dog for the day, and her answer was, "Uh, yeah, no, I don't think so. This is just not, you know... It was a big deal. She knew it was a big deal to me. I gave her plenty of time. She just plain and simply didn't want to. And you know what? I never forgot that. I, you know, I, I, it just, it, and she would have been better saying, oh, darn, no, I just can't that weekend because I have plans. Because it made me, it, it really made me feel like, 
wow, this is a big deal to me, and yet this friend is not willing to, to help me out this one day. Well, and it wasn't even a long time. It was, you know, like a six-hour day. Um, so that would have been a great time to lie to me. And it would have really made yeah. it would have made a big difference in the relationship. But then again, then you know, um, then my friend's lying to me, so I don't know how I feel about that either. But anyway, um, so yeah, here's, here's the interesting thing: how do you know she was she was um, how do you know she wasn't already lying by going? Ah, you know, I don't think so. Maybe she had um, an important medical appointment to go to that she didn't want to tell you about. And so she decides to lie and go, ah, I don't think so. Ah, that's a good point. Well, anyway, she's, uh... <laughs> it's, all too late. it's all too late now. It's all too late now. <laughs> See, this is one of the problems with, with reading body language and trying to detect who's lying and who isn't, is actually uh, we're pretty bad at it. And so we, we jump to snap judgments about people, and that means we can... Uh, lose good friends or gain ones that aren't really shouldn't be good friends. Mm. Um, we find out all too late that we have judged things incorrectly. So we're often not great judges of other people as much as we'd like to believe or think we are. Well, so then uh, Internet is really screwing up communications for people today, I would say. So um, we are going to take a short break. When we come back, I'd love to know how likely it is to misunderstand nonverbal messages. Listeners, stay with us here. Don't go anywhere. This is Talk with Francesca. I'm Francesca Luca. We'll talk more in just a bit on 95.9 WATD. Do you remember the last time your vehicle was in that pristine condition? Angel's Touch offers full-service detailing and bodywork. Family-owned and operated with several packages to choose from, you can count on your car to be immaculate from bumper to bumper, undercarriage to sunroof. Call Angel's Touch today at 508-759-1111. Collision, detailing, and full restoration, because you can always trust an Angel's Touch. Visit them at capepodautobodyanddetailing.com. So what are you waiting for? Every one of us will need a lawyer at some point in our lives. And if that point has already come for you, you know you need a good one. You need a qualified one. One who will defend your interest with exceptional knowledge and dedication. Luckily, we can tell you where to find that lawyer. Whether your case involves real estate, unemployment, business law, or governmental agency, David Hadass of Drowan, Hit and Hadass is ready to help. With broad experience throughout the Boston area, David specializes in civil litigation and appellate law. He's been named Massachusetts Super Lawyer and Top Business Litigator for four consecutive years by Boston Magazine. David represents large and small businesses as well as individuals. Find him online at drawinhit.com for more information to get started with discussing your solution today. When you need legal representation, accept nothing less than the professional expertise of David Hadass of Drawin, Hit, and Hadass. Ladies, it's time to enjoy a new you. Stop hiding. Experience a tradition of quality results and a standard of excellence and service at Kima Cosmetic Surgery Anti-Aging Center in Norwell. The best kept secret south of Boston, whether you're looking to seek enhancement, reconstruction, or skin care, Kima is the only place to go. Having been in business for 11 years, their clients include A-listers. Kima is the first clinic in Massachusetts to use Limitless MD, human umbilical cord stem cells, 
These are the first human umbilical cord stem cells created for cosmetic procedures used in combination with some of the most advanced technologies. I've been to Kima myself and wouldn't go anywhere else because I expect exceptional results. So contact Kima today to schedule your consultation at 781-871-4200 or visit them at kemaantiaging.com and discover the internal and external solution you've been looking for. Now, what are you waiting for? Looking for a unique experience to dining? Rio Brazilian Steakhouse brings an authentic Brazilian flavor with a great atmosphere to the restaurant scene in Plymouth. The interior is warm and welcoming, and the buffet style offers a relaxed atmosphere while offering fine dining with the traditional rodizio style from Rio, the heart of Brazil. Come dine and watch your dishes being prepared and cooked over the grill. Plymouth's best-kept secret, Rio Brazilian Steakhouse offers a full buffet daily, along with wine and beer. Rio Brazilian Steakhouse is located at 318 Court Street in Plymouth and is open seven days a week. For an unforgettable experience from start to finish, visit them at riosteakhouserestaurant.com. You'll be glad you did. I'm Francesca Luca, and you're listening to Talk with Francesca on 95.9 WATD. All right, we are back, and I'm speaking with Mark Bowden. He is the author of Truth and Lies, What People Are Really Thinking, which is a national bestseller. It illustrates the essential points of body language with examples from everyday life. So welcome back, Mark. Glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Mark, so how likely is it to misunderstand nonverbal messages? Oh, yeah. Well, so pretty pretty likely on the whole because uh, nonverbal communication or body language isn't really a language. There are no exact translations. Uh, just because, for example, somebody has crossed their arms, it doesn't mean, as most people kind of suppose, that they're closed or they're blocking them. Sometimes they're cold. Sometimes they're making a decision. Uh, sometimes they're trying to stay awake. Sometimes they're concentrating. So uh, which one is it? There's, there's dozens of reasons why people cross their arms, and you never quite know which one it is until you get a cluster of signals. You can read many signals at the same time, or you simply ask them what they're thinking and feeling. Oh, that's very interesting. Yes, I, I think that is the common um, belief that when someone folds their arms that they are protecting themselves. So uh, you're saying that that isn't necessarily the case. Hmm. No, absolutely. Sometimes, for example, if somebody's sitting down and they don't have arms on their chair, they don't have anywhere else to put their arms, so they cross their arms. Uh, as I say, sometimes they're cold. Often people are making a decision when they cross their arms. Well, you know, if you're in sales and you say to somebody, uh, you know, which one do you want to choose? Sometimes the, that person will cross their arms and step back in order to properly consider. Yet what we tend to do is when we don't know exactly what somebody's thinking and feeling, we default to a negative. And so this idea of crossed arms being closed is part of that bias that we have. Oh. We're not understanding. We, we default to those negatives. Oh, that's interesting. That's scary then. So give us um, some, some cues some, uh, or give us some body language uh, moves that are more definitive. Oh, yeah. So, uh, well, more, de more definitive. It's, it's so hard to be definitive because everything is contextual. 
what means one thing in one context may not mean the same thing in another context. Um, so for, let's, let's take this, for, for example, to get a little more definitive about it. People often say if you're at a, at a uh, party or an event of some sort and people's feet are turned away from you, they're not really that interested in being near you. They want to go towards where their feet are. Well, that's not entirely true. What you want to be looking at is where their center is, their stomach area, their center of gravity. Which way is that pointed? Which way is their navel? pointed because wherever that center of gravity is that's where their body is going to move towards so don't worry about which way they're facing or where their feet are think about where the mass of their body is their stomach area their center of gravity that's where their body is attracted towards what you know how people like tip their head to the side well like as i'm doing right now but that's because i am you know i'm really listening um but you know how people like bring their ear to their shoulder one side oh, or yeah, the other sure. what does that mean yeah what does that mean yeah so so that might that might well be uh that they're not so much bringing their ear to their shoulder but their shoulder to their ear so that is a what we call a turtling gesture, which is they're protecting the carotid arteries and windpipe, that delicate area around the neck that's bringing oxygen into the body and also oxygenated blood up to the brain. So often when people are under stress or pressure of some sort, they'll shrug their shoulders up. If their head is tilted to one side and they shrug, it may look like they took their ear towards their shoulder, but that's less likely. So if you see somebody doing that, you know, maybe part of what was being talked about has put them under stress or pressure of some sort. And you may want to investigate that more to see what it is about what's being talked about that's causing them more stress or pressure or anxiety. Why do people, well, I have my own thoughts on this, but um, because if someone is, you know, like someone, I'm at a party and someone gets like too close in my face, it makes me uncomfortable. I step back. Yeah, yeah exactly. That... So, so we have uh, something called pros- prosthetics, which is the closeness that you are to things or people. Right. And if you're, say, within six inches of somebody, you're in now what we call uh, intimate space. If you're around a foot and a half away from somebody, you're still in their personal uh, space. If you're six foot away from them, then you're going more into social space and further away is public space. So, you know, some people have different tolerances about people being in their personal space or certainly their intimate space. Some societies have certain rituals or customs that immediately break you into others' intimate space. So, for for example, if you're in many parts of Europe, then when you greet somebody, you'll do that with a a kiss to each side of the face. Well, that immediately puts you within intimate space of somebody who you don't know. It breaks down some social barriers very, very quickly, and more quickly than, say, we're we're very much used to in in general North America. Mm -hmm. So traditions and customs can be different across the planet, and that can uh, disrupt what we're used to and sometimes make us very uncomfortable.
Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's funny. I am very um, aware of space. If, like as I said, some, I'm at a party and someone gets too close to me, I immediately go backwards. Now, is it? But um, conversely, interestingly enough, I have a a square dining room table. Um, it's you know perfect square, and there's um, you know eight chairs around. So each each side has two chairs, and yet I find that I. It, it it's almost seems like it's too much space between the guests. And all, only if, like, if I were to have just one other couple for dinner, it's a, it's a five feet long, so 60 inches. So if I have, or maybe it's six feet, I forget. But, but anyway, if I have one other couple, it feels very uncomfortable, like it's all too far away. Only if there are four couples at that table does it feel like an intimate setting. So I don't right. know I don't know what that's about, but anyway, so as a result, unless I'm having a dinner party, I never invite just one other couple. <laughs> so I, you know, um, I you know, and, and I would think that the the manufacturer of that table knew what they were doing. So <laughs> I think I don't know, maybe it's just me. Well, I think the difference there is in what you said there, which is when you have a dinner, you invite the people. When you're at a party of some sort or event you may not have invited those people. In one situation, you've, you've already decided that people are okay and okay to come to your house. There's a certain level of trust already. And in the party event situation, that trust isn't necessarily there. And so the body reacts unconsciously to that. You're okay with the people sitting down around the table in close proximity. You invited them. You have, um, you've got a, a table there, which is partly protecting vulnerable areas of your body. Hey, you've got, you got a knife and fork. So if things get really uh, out there, at least you can protect yourself. <laughs> but, with, you know, yeah. but with a party, you haven't necessarily invited those, those people if you're attending. How do you know that they're safe? or not. You don't have anything to protect you from that. So unconsciously, you may find that you're more protective in one environment and less protective in another. Right. Would you say that most people aren't even aware of their body language um, and the messages that they're sending? Yeah, most people just get on with their life and, and they either do well in it or badly in it or something in between, and they tend to make it other people's fault. So they're kind of, uh, you know, things have been going badly, but it's nothing to do with me. It's everything to do with everybody else. And people who are a little more emotionally intelligent will look at themselves, be self-reflective, and go, what is it that I could do in order to get better results for myself? And those people will often look at their behaviors and their nonverbal behaviors, their body language, and go, what is it that I'm doing in certain situations that may be playing well for me or may be playing badly? And, and when they've looked at that, they're also able to start choosing behaviors. They're able to go, hey, when I behave in a certain way, it doesn't do very well for me. So I'm going to choose some different or new behaviors in order to get on better, in order to get better results for myself. So give us some examples of uh, non verbal behaviors that would make a difference in in our communication oh so here's some really simple and easy stuff to do if you think about there's two types of body language open or closed 
open or closed. And if we think about it even further, open body language is the kind of body language that you might do if it's been a cold day and you come indoors and there's a nice big roaring fire and you'd open up your body to that and you'd warm your hands and you'd warm your the front of your body and you'd make yourself kind of big and, and more expansive to take in that warmth. And we might even call that warm body language. And so if you reproduce more, that warm body language, being very open in your body, you'll get way better social results from people, way better business results as well. Now, the opposite of this would be cold body language or closed body language. Imagine uh, it, you go out into a cold environment, and so you want to tuck your elbows close into the side of your body. You want to uh, cross your arms tightly. You want to tuck your head down into your shoulders. You maybe even want to cross your legs over. Make yourself really small and tight in order to preserve the heat that you may already have in your body. Again, if you reproduce that kind of body language socially, it won't play out well for you. People that mm -hmm. we often call this minimized body language as well, people won't feel that you're that confident either. And so they'll be less attracted to you socially and in a business relationship as well. So open, warm, maximized body language or minimized, closed and cold body language. Imagine those in your head and decide, can you do more open and maximized and warm body language? And you will see some very clear and strong results immediately. Hmm. It, um, it's interesting sometimes when someone touches my hand that doesn't even really know me, you know, like, oh, hi, nice to meet you. But not a handshake, but more of like a touch. I find that very kind of sweet, but I know some people are really kind of turned off by too much touching and hugging before they even really know someone. We do need to take a short break, but when we come back, I'd like to cover a little bit more about that. Stay with us here, listeners. This is Talk with Francesca. I'm Francesca Luca. We'll talk more in just a bit on 95.9 WATD. The new Cobblestone Cafe on Hanover Street in Boston brings casual, on-the-go American fare to the North End, serving breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Open daily at 7 a.m., Cobblestone Cafe offers burgers, barbecue, salads, fries, milkshakes, seafood, and the very popular Snickerdoodle iced coffee. Delivery and catering are also available. Cobblestone Cafe, 227 Hanover Street in Boston. For more information, call 857-263-8057 or visit them online at cobblestonecafene.com. Hey, long time no see. You look amazing. Thanks. I just came from my hair appointment with Thomas Negrelli at Rebel Hair Studio. Thomas Negrelli? Yeah, Thomas Negrelli. He specializes in cuts, color, blowouts, braids, and even makeup. I have been thinking about changing up my look. Then call him at 774-404-1872. Could you say that number again? 774-404-1872. Thanks. I'm calling him now. Looking for an authentic Italian meal in an intimate setting? Then you might just want to venture out to Boston this weekend and dine at Terra Mia Ristorante, a true gem among all those rhinestones in Boston's North End. This cozy tutorial with stucco walls and beamed ceilings specializes in creative interpretations of Italian classics. Like the cuisines here, the atmosphere is elegant yet understated. 
Since opening in 1993, Terramia Restaurante has aimed to convince diners that there's always more to Italian food than just red sauce. Over the years, the innovative and beloved restaurant has done a great deal of convincing, and best of all, it's reasonably priced. This best-kept secret is worth the trip. Call 617-523-3112 or visit terramiarestaurante.com. The South Shore's breaking news, weather, and traffic station. 95.9 WATD-FM Marshfield and 95.9 WATD.com. Now for more talk with Francesca on 95.9 WATD. All right, we are back, and I am speaking with Mark Bowden. Excuse me. His latest book, Truth and Lies, What People Are Really Thinking, is a national bestseller, and we are discussing that now. Welcome back, Mark. Great to be here. Thanks for having me. So, Mark, you know, sometimes, you know what I'm talking about when I say that someone will, like, sort of touch your hand, like sort of a warmish kind of a hello, rather than shaking your hand, or someone just says, oh, so nice to meet you with a hug. Um now, you know, I don't, the hug is a little strong, but something about when someone touches my hand, I find it very sort of enduring and very kind of sweet. Um, but I know people are very funny about being touched or kissed. So how do you know when to do that and when not to? I mean, I don't personally, just because I don't take any chances with people I don't really know, but some people do. Well, yeah, look, you know, if you take a chance, there's always a chance that you'll get it wrong rather than right. And that's the nature of taking a chance, okay? Mm. So one of the things you can do is kind of ask people, and you can say, you know, I could walk up to you and, and, and go, hey, I'm, I'm a hugger. So, you know, if you're, if you're open to that, uh, I'll give you a hug. And, you, and then it's up to you to go, uh, actually, no, Mark, I'm, I'm okay. But, you know, maybe there would be too, some, too much social pressure around that, and you might conform just because you don't want to be uh, uncomfortable, you'd rather be uncomfortable with, with the hug rather than uncomfortable with not conforming. It's a, it's a really tricky area. Mm. So on the whole, if you're going to do something which is outside the majority of social norms, you probably want to indicate to somebody beforehand that, um, that you're going to do that or ask them. Otherwise, of course, you do stand the chance of doing something antisocial to them or, or personally out of their comfort zone. And either you're troubled by that and you're worried about that or you're not. Look, some people are going to go around and do what the hell they like and, and they're not really worried what people think or feel about that. They walk around going, look, I, I'm, I'm a hugger. I am who so I am, right? People will adjust. <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly. People, well, you know, that, the reality of that is that's essentially antisocial because it's not, it's not asking people mm. what they want. It's just going, look, you're all going to adjust to me. It's not going to work <laughs> out for you until you find uh, a world or a country or a town or a city or a workplace where they just go, no, that's actually just going to get you fired yeah, because yeah. Or, or we're throwing you out of this town or this country because you're not conforming to our ideas of what is social. Mm-hmm. So, you know, just, just check out what's, so, what's considered social and antisocial and make some choices about whether you want to fit in or not. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Mark, you, one of the tips for sending nonverbal messages is, you say, to take full advantage of your full height. Uh, 
Can you explain that? Because I'm short. I'm only five feet, so that's kind of a problem for me. I don't have a. <laughs> I, I guess I don't have a lot to work with. Yeah. So, so it means that you will be, in general, often height dominated. So, uh, you know, I'm not massively tall. I'm five foot uh, ten and a half. So I'm well above average, but I'm not as, and I'm, and I'm way more tall than most people on the planet. But I'm not super tall. But having said that, if I'm with you, I will be quite tall compared to you. And so, uh, and, and you will be height dominated more than uh, in many, more than, you know, more often than not. Which means that uh, you're either going to do something like fight or flight. You're either going to get dominated or start to become aggressive around people who are taller than you. One way that you can use what you already have is just keep a little more distance from people at the start of meetings or conversations. I would suggest, knowing that that is your height, that may be one of the reasons why at parties where you don't know people, uh, when they step in close to you, you're more likely to step back because well, you immediately get height dominated. Ah, well, you know, I actually wear high heels a lot, although as I'm getting oh. a little older, less so. But, um, but um, yeah, I, I do wear very high heels uh, very often. But the other thing is that it's, it's interesting, but people who have, you know, spoken to me on the phone but haven't met me when they do, I will tell you nine out of ten times people are shocked that I'm as short as I am. They always think that, oh, I was expecting you to be like 5'8", five, 5'10", five, so... Um, I, I guess that probably has to do with my personality. I don't know. Well, yes. Yeah, so we equate height with dominance. And therefore, if you have a dominant style, you've got a, a, a dominant vocal mm -hmm. style. Mm -hmm. You're very forthright and mm -hmm. clear. Yeah. Uh, you don't have a lot of upward intonation in your voice, which would cause you to, to sound uh, undominant and questioning. You've got more downward intonation in your voice. So it's more likely to create a picture in people's head of somebody who takes up a lot of space. <laughs> They're going to make up a non-verbal picture to go with your, with your voice, and therefore they'll be surprised when, when somebody comes into the room who doesn't fit that picture. Kevin, why are you smiling? <laughs> I'm asking my producer why he's smiling. <laughs> he's shaking his head and laughing. Okay. What about your hands? I mean, they sort of, you know, I mean, I talk with my hands. Even right now I'm using my hands. But if, if you know, and I can't even see you. But what about people who use their hands? What, what is the message that we're giving? Yes, so, so hands can be very clear or can be very confusing. Uh, the reason we use our hands often when we're talking is that actually the hands are attached to the neocortex, the big uh, modern brain that we have, which also deals with our language function as well. So that the, the dexterity of the hands is linked to our dexterity with language. We use the same part of the brain to do verbal language as we do uh, non-verbal language in our hands. So often when we're trying to use dexterous speech, as, as you are right now and I am right now, our hands will automatically start to move in order to excite that dexterous part of the brain. Now, when it can get confusing, for example, is when the hands go asymmetrical, which means one half of the body, one, one hand is doing something very, very different from the other hand. When we watch that, 
it's very confusing for our brain because we need to decode two signals at the same time. And that's what we would call a large neural load. It's a lot of work for our brain to do. So on the whole, if you want to be clear with your speech, be very clear and symmetrical with your hands at the same time. Maybe that's the problem with my brain. <laughs> so, you know what, what about eye contact? I mean, they say it's always, you know, when I was growing up, my mother always said, my mother and father always said, look me in the eye when you're talking, always look me in the eye. And um, actually, it's a funny thing because even though I have a strongest, strongish personality, um, I can be shy. And um, people are always shocked when I say that, like, you, shy, but yes, I can be. And um, I do have to remind myself sometimes to look at someone in the eye. And, um, but if you don't, for whatever reason, um, isn't there that message that you're not either being honest or you're being antisocial? Yeah, so there's often a, uh, a myth that if somebody doesn't look you in the, in the eye, they're being shifty or they're, or they're lying. And that's not true. Actually, we know scientifically that liars know this, and really good liars will look you in the eye when they're lying to you because they know that you've heard this myth from, from, your, from you know, your community saying that, oh, you know, watch out for people who don't look you in the eye. And this is cultural. As well, you go to some cultures and you'll find that they show respect by not looking people in the eye. So you've got to know which culture you're in. And if you want to spot a liar, you've got to look out for way more signals than were they looking you in the eye or not. But on the whole, our eyes look towards things of value and look away from things of no value. So, you know, our, our compulsion is to look at things that we're attracted to mm-hmm. and away from things that are of no real value to us. Mm-hmm. Unless you're shy, right? Well, yeah, so shyness can often be... Uh, so I, I often reframe the idea of shyness as caution. So, for example, you've got a little kid, and, uh, and instead of saying to them, hey, you know, don't be shy go over and talk to that person, you might want to say, look, I totally understand why you want to be cautious about speaking to people at this party. You don't know anybody. But you can, you can understand it's really safe here. Everybody's okay. You can talk to anybody you like here quite confidently. Mm-hmm. Instead of framing people automatically as, as shy. Look, we are, um, we are extrovert in some systems, uh, some situations, and introvert in some situations. None of us are, you know, only extrovert or only introvert. Right. It depends what situation we're in. Some situations we're very confident in, and some situations we're very cautious in. So we've got to make sure that we don't always label people who are being cautious in a situation that we are being confident in that we don't label them as shy they're just cautious because they don't know the situation as well as we do is it possible to spot a liar based solely on body language Uh, for for sure you can get it you can get it right Um, uh, you can you can get closer to the truth solely on body language The, the key is is how much would you like to gamble on your on your on being right, that does the thing. Um, there are many examples where I mean, take for example, uh, uh, police officers, cops. 
you know, they will often say that they're very good at reading body language. Okay, very, very good at it. Well, ultimately, their their job is to look for people who are breaking the law, and they have the capacity to pull people over and ask them questions and say, "Hey, can you pop the trunk open? I want to I want to look in the back." And then after the fact that they found something illegal in the back of the trunk, they then go, hey, you know, I, I reckon I could, because I can tell from the person. Um, well, they've got more chance of finding people who are going to lie. Most people breaking the law will lie to you, first of all. And their job is to go and find people breaking the law. So they, they hang around areas where people are more likely to break the law. They hang around areas that are of, of low income. Because on the whole, if you're low income, you're most likely going to break the law at, at some point. It's hard getting by. So, so there are some of us who are more likely to come across liars and then make out from that that we're good at detecting liars rather than hanging around places where lies tend to happen. Uh, so, you know, would, would, would you uh, gamble on, if you could find somebody who you thought was pretty good at detecting lies... Uh, you could gamble and go, well, let's just make this person a judge and have no jury at all uh, on criminal cases, and we just get the two people up to state their case, and this judge, who's got a pretty good record of spotting liars, will just decide who's a liar and who's not, and then send people immediately to prison, sentence them immediately. Well, it'd be, be quite quick to do that, but are they going to be 100% accurate? Right. Uh, chances are they won't be 100% accurate. So, on the whole, uh, even with good lie detectors, we don't put them in charge of anything of really, really high risk. We still put in a process that's meant to get closer to the truth, a very expensive process, by the mm -hmm. way, right. uh, that's meant to get closer to the truth so that we don't wrongly accuse people of things that they haven't done. Right. We do need to take another short break, Mark. But, you know, what before, just something to sort of uh, marinate about. You know, sometimes there's a rumor about someone or someone's been sort of bad-mouthed. And then, you know, now we have this insufficient data and now we're encountering this person. And, you know, we've already sort of got this this bias because someone has told us X, Y, and Z. So I'd be curious to know how you, what's the best way to sort of really look at that person head on and decide for yourself um, who they are. So uh, when we come back, we'll talk about that. Listeners, stay with us here. More Talk with Francesca coming right up on 95.9 WATD. Tides is beachside dining at its best all year round. Located at the end of the Nahant Causeway, directly on Nahant Beach, the ocean views from the dining room and the pub can't be beat, no matter what the season. Nominated for Best of the North Shore from North Shore Magazine for Best Alfresco Dining, Best Kid-Friendly Restaurant, Best Lobster Dinner, and Best Water View. Why would you go anywhere else? Whether you choose their dining room, a frosty pint at their bar, or a sun-drenched deck on the Hunt Beach, they guarantee you great atmosphere with super food and service. Their menu is full of fresh, high-quality seafood, prime rib, chicken, pasta, and pizza that everyone will love. Check out their drink menu for fun cocktails, 30 ice-cold beers on tap, and their well-rounded wine list with their state-of-the-art tap wines. They feature full-service lottery and kino. Tides is the place to watch any big game. They have over 20 HD TVs. 
At Tides, they specialize in casual dining with food that's just delicious, not pretentious. Tides is a fantastic restaurant anytime, summer or winter, lunch or dinner, rain or shine. Your pets are family. Take your dog to the Dog's Den in Pembroke. Your furry friend will go from smelling crummy to yummy because Leah at the Dog's Den really cares. Whatever your pet's needs are, from dematting to extra scissoring, the Dog's Den in Pembroke has your furry friends covered. So call the Dog's Den today at 781-826-7008 or visit thedogsdengrooming.com. Located in Boston's North End holds one of our best-kept secrets, Antico Forno, ranked number nine of the top ten Italian restaurants around the world within the category of being one of the most authentic. With a welcoming family feel, it's hard to argue the experience you have when enjoying dinner at Antico Forno. Best known for their brick oven pizza, their world-class traditional cuisine does not fall far behind. Come enjoy dinner at Antico Forno and feel like part of the family. Open daily from 11.30 a.m. until 10 p.m. Call us today at 617-723. Or visit us at AnticoFornoBoston.com. Hey, this is James Woods, and you are listening to Talk with Francesca on 95.9 WATD. All right, we are back, and I'm speaking with Mark Bowden. His latest book, Truth and Lies, What People Are Really Thinking, and it is a national bestseller. Uh, There's still time this summer to hang out on the beach. We've got some warm days left, so pick it up. Great beach read. All right, Mark, welcome back. Great to be here. Thanks for having me. So, Mark, um, you know, this sort of a scapegoating thing, you know, and I'm thinking about how someone you know, is being put down maybe because they're super successful, they're doing a bang-up job at work, or, you know, it could be a number of things, or someone's jealous, you know, and people start bad-mouthing this person, and the next thing you know, there's a rumor, or there's someone's reputation's being hurt, and, uh, you know, so then how does this person who's coming in, who's never met this person, look at this person sort of head-on and kind of determine, because they've already got this bias going now, right? Yeah, you're exactly right. They have a, they have a bias. And we all have biases about all kinds of things. Mm. What we need to do is, is critical thinking, which means we start using evidence-based uh, uh, thinking rather than thinking that is based on evidence from, you know, hearsay or, or, or things you've heard from somebody, from somebody, from somebody. Stories, essentially. We want to gather our own data around this. And the first thing we want to do is suspend judgment, that we, the judgment that we have, the bias that we have. Now, I say suspend judgment. It doesn't mean you're going to change that judgment. You're just going to suspend it. You're just going to put it to one side for a moment. You can come back to your bias to your judgment if it turns out to be really quite accurate. So first of all, we suspend judgment, and then we start asking questions of that person, gathering more information, looking at them directly, uh, asking them direct questions to gather real data for ourselves rather than second-hand, third-hand, or fourth-hand data. Hopefully we'll be able to do that, right, and not not be uh have our our opinions uh tainted you know so um mark you know you've helped fortune 500 companies to politicians from all over the world what, what's your biggest challenge 
Well, I think the biggest challenge that people have, that any client of mine has, it's the same all over the world, is that actually human communication is really quite difficult. It's really quite advanced. Uh, there is nothing else on the planet communicating at the level we humans are. There's nothing else on the planet which is able to create new behaviors in a mass of, of our species, um, uh, which is essentially culture, being able to design culture, being able to instruct uh, large amounts of people to commit to a certain project. I mean, there are other things on the planet that have language. Ants have language. Bees have language. I mean, look, they don't actually kind of talk to each other, but they leave sense for each other in order to adjust each other's behaviors. And, you know, an ant can build a huge anthill. It's a massive city, essentially. Bees can create huge beehives and produce huge amounts of, of honey and build structures which are uh, way bigger than their size, just like us humans. But ants and bees build the same structures again and again and again. And we humans can design our structures. We can design our societies and communicate to each other in a way that means we can design uh, a, a structure or a society or a product or invent something that hasn't been done before. Bees and ants do the same old thing and they've been doing it for millennia, whereas we've actually changed quite, quite formidably over uh, thousands of, of years being on this, on this planet. So our human communication is really quite radically complex and therefore it goes wrong just as much as it might go right. That's why I think people have dogs and they love dogs. The, the communication is just so succinct, you know? It's just, it's it's amazing to me. It really, really is. I mean, I think if, if we communicated like animals communicated, like dogs and cats, I think that things would be a whole lot easier. Well, for sure, but we wouldn't be able to plan for the future. That's the problem. Is, 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 is dogs, and, uh, so let's take dogs. Uh, dogs have no idea about the future, and they don't have a lot of idea about the past. And that's why you can't, if you want to go on holiday, on, on vacation, you can't go to your dog, hey, uh, you know, Rex, um, uh, I'm going away for seven days, so I've left the food in the cupboard. Uh, you, you decide how much you need today and then the next day and the next day and the next day. Uh, you just, no, the dog will eat all of it all in one go and then be sick. <laughs> you know? And it's because the dog has no idea about the future the, and, and has, doesn't have a language. That's a good thing. Does what we, <laughs> doesn't have a language that does what we call displacement. So it can't talk about the past or the future. It's only ever talking about now. It's only ever looking at you now and going, what's happening now with my, with my human? Not what will be happening tomorrow with my human or next month or, you know, your dog does not have a five-year plan. <laughs> no, uh, no. So, yeah, so right. your, dog, your dog can't go and get a mortgage because your dog doesn't, isn't able to go to the bank and go, well, you know, I think I'll be making the same amount for the next five years. <laughs> have no idea about that stuff. So, yeah, things would be simpler uh, if we all communicated with, with dogs, but many of us would, uh, like dogs, but many of us would die pretty quickly or have our loans taken away from us. <laughs> so, so we have a very complex 
yeah. uh, language system, which can support very complex financial products and very complex social systems, which means we can plan for the future um, and, and, oh, well, and, and do things like borrow money that we don't have yet. Mm-hmm. based on a future prediction that we'll be able to pay it back. Mark, we have just a minute left. I hate to put you in a box, but I'm hoping you can answer this question in a minute. Is there a right and a wrong way to smile? <laughs> yeah, well, there are many different smiles. But if we're talking about the Duchenne smile, which is the true smile of pleasure, yeah, the sides of the mouth turn up, but also the eyes narrow as well at the same time. So if you see somebody smile and it's just the sides of their mouth, it's not a true smile. They're not actually feeling joy, pleasure at that time. If you see the sides of the mouth go up and the eyes narrow, and it'll cause little wrinkles at the sides of the, of the eyes, uh, then you know it's a true smile. It's a smile of pleasure. All right. Sounds like a plan. Well, Mark Bowden, thank you so much for being with us tonight on Talk with Francesca. It's really been a pleasure. Oh, my pleasure. It's always great to chat. All right. All right, it's time to wrap things up. We've got to say goodbye. I hope you enjoyed the show as much as I did. So we'll see you next week, same time, same place. Make it a great week. If you missed part of the show, you can hop on over to my iTunes page. And again, visit my website, talkwithfrancesca.com.